Hello world and thank you for joining me today. This is Shelley Shearer and you are listening to the podcast Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, where I focus on not living in regret and forming high-functioning habits. I want to inspire you to transform your thoughts for a happier and higher functioning life. We are what we think and we get lost in limiting beliefs. We don't eat well, we don't take charge of our money, manage our commitments, and then wonder why we are stressed, overweight, in pain, and unhappy with our lives. I haven't met anyone that can't change their mind. That's why I always say, see you on the flip side, as I want to journey with you on coming out the other side. Side of what you might ask? Well, that's up to you. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the show. Had a challenging morning with technology. Speakers aren't working, couldn't listen to couldn't listen to my coaching call. My mic wasn't working, couldn't record. Oh my goodness, I even dug out an old ancient headset out of the out of the closet. That enabled me to at least listen to the second half of my coaching call, but it didn't allow me to record. Anyways, as uh, I have learned over the years with technology, unplug everything, plug it back in, turn it off, turn it on and see what happens. And bam, everything's good again. <laughs> Sometimes I think we need to do that in our lives. The other thing that's kind of interesting is the third time I've recorded this podcast. That is the first time that has happened in two and a half years that I really just can't seem to get my thoughts streamlined. Um, the first one was fine. You know, I'm a big believer in uh, scribing. You know, your head's full of stuff. You got to get it out. Either get it onto a tape, get it into a letter, put it uh, into a notebook. You know, write it, speak it, type it. I don't care, but it's an amazing. Uh, Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, practice for clearing your mind. At least it is for me. It it may not be the same for everybody, but I have a lot of mind chatter, always have, and I battle with it most of my life uh, because it's very distracting. But once something's out, then it's cleared my head, and now with my memory limitations due due to my fibro, I actually forget it completely, which when I'm really just needing to heal a lot of negative stuff is a godsend of uh, epic proportions, I must say. So the first one I didn't feel too bad about, obviously I just needed to vent. You know, the holidays can be tough for some people, family drama, it can bring up good things, but it can also bring up negative things, and this Christmas was no different for me. Best of the best, a little bit of the worst of the worst, it just, it seems to go hand in hand. Uh, But you know what, I always try and focus on the best, the good, the good. Christmas is a a wonderful season for me. not just um, as a Christian because of the birth of Christ, but as a, a really hardcore family person. It's just a special time with loved ones, and I just love everything about it. My husband's all about Halloween. I'm all about Christmas. So yes, my tree is still up, mainly because we had to celebrate Christmas with our granddaughter after Christmas, and there's been no time to take it down until this weekend coming up. So it's still lighting up the neighborhood in the corner, and people, I'm sure, are shaking their heads going, okay, Shell, I think it's time to take that down. But anyways, uh, we're still living with the uh, with that. Everything else, I, I packed everything else up a couple of weeks ago after New Year's and just said, okay, I need the floors and the mantles and, you know, fireplaces all put away, just the tree for my granddaughter. So anyways, what I want to talk about today, because this is all sort of just coming out of the Christmas holidays, is managing what you have. And I guess what was happening for some reason is I just seemed to be t- attaching so much of my own personal negativity around it that I literally just wasn't getting, I don't know, what's the word thing? Uh, I just wasn't getting to the point. When I share things with you, it's because I want to inspire you to change your mind, um, make a decision, make a choice, 
be aware. These are driving forces in my podcast. And if you're a regular listener, you're very aware of that. If you're new, you will see this theme over and over and over again. That's why um, my brand is High Functioning Habits, although the podcast is called Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Uh, And actually, someone asked me again the other day, it's been over a year since someone's asked me why my show was called that and why it's wrong. Because the expression coulda, woulda, shoulda, it's not. It's, I think it's shoulda, coulda, woulda. I can't remember actually what the actual expression is. Mine is the way it is because of three factors. Overconfidence, procrastination, and regret. I, I could have done that. Overconfidence. I would have done that, procrastination, I should have done that, regret. And that is why I speak so heavily on not living in regret. It's it's again another huge theme of this podcast. That being said, I'm living with a lot of regret right now because I just finished our yearly finances. And let me tell you, there is nothing scarier than seeing black and white where you've spent money on in the year and where you've spent too much of it. We had a tough year. Uh, no two ways about it. We changed a, a rental suite in our home. We renovated. We took over the upstairs. I decided to do exchange students instead of bringing in renters. All of these things were a twenty thousand dollar mistake. <laughs> Not gonna lie, it was just straight up a twenty grand mistake. And uh, between now, uh, let's see, that would be between the end of twenty seventeen into twenty eighteen. So this took about a year and a half of just oops. So we're back on track now. Uh, however, you know what? When you're going through Christmas, one of the things that can be hard, if you've got friends and family uh, that perhaps are more affluent and have more money, or at least have the appearance of having more money, and you are not able to keep up with the Joneses, you can often get yourself into a bit of a situation where you start feeling resentful and wondering, you know, why not me? This is unfair. Well, do you know what? The world doesn't owe you anything. Unfortunately, so many of us are raised with the belief system that we are owed, we are not. And I'm probably going to, I'm going to talk about a few harsh things today. And that's certainly one of the concepts that you need to let go of. Nobody owes you anything. And it's a very tough thing in my life to deal with due to some things that go on in my family. I really have to put into practice that concept and that acceptance that the world and my family owe me nothing. And... You know, what goes on in other areas, not my business, not my place, and I have to let it go. I also get quite caught up in my disease sometimes. This isn't fair. Why did this have to happen to me? Why are we the ones that lost our house? Why did, you know, it can go on and on. I'm pretty sure if you just take a minute or you are already there emotionally, you are sitting in that mud puddle with me. So for me, the reason I talk about high-functioning habits is I have to have a lot of them in place to manage not just physical, physical, phys, physicalities in my life with my, with my health, but mental, emotional things as well. Uh, you know, depression runs rampant through my heritage. Unfortunately, on my mom's side, it's just these, that bloodline, that genetic makeup is seriously not balanced. And the history of it is, is quite astronomical. It's, it's, it's all encompassing for many generations. Perhaps some of, some of it has been dealt with in my life through actual clearing of emotional baggage. Some of it is, I truly believe, genetic. Then there's the emotional stuff. So you may think those are both the same, but for me, it isn't just depression I deal with, but I am very emotional as a person, always have been. I'm quite um, 
empathetic. I take on the pain and misfortune of others around me. It's something I really had to learn to protect myself against when I got sick and my energies were so reduced. I couldn't absorb and take on everyone else's issues. And I, it was very hard for me at first because I enjoy helping other people. But sometimes that came as a, at a cost to my own health and my own marriage and my own life and really had to learn some boundaries in those areas. Then there's your, you know, your mental and your spiritual part of your life. Anyways, all of these areas for me require high functioning habits to be the best that I want to be and to be as high functioning as I want to be, to be as happy as I want to be. These things are choices. So one of the things that I'm going to, I came to my, my thought process this past week is money. And I'm, it's, I'm specifically going to talk about money today, but this can literally be uh, manifested or overlaid into so many other areas of your life. Maybe it's your gifts you're not using, your skill set. Uh, maybe, you know, you have a very empathic nature and you're not using that to help others. But today specifically, we're going to talk about money. Because we had to add to our uh, line of credit and mortgage this year through mistakes, but also part of it through bad management and a little bit of entitlement. Uh, my husband and I had to sit down and have a really good heart-to-heart -heart about living within our means. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this to you is because a lot of emotional stuff gets caught up in this particular area. Money has a bad rap, especially when you come from my generation and the, the generation that my parents come from. The other thing too that went wrong with the first two podcasts is I wasn't giving you solutions and there's no point in me bringing to you things to think about, issues, if I cannot then in turn say, hey, there is hope, here are some practical steps to take. That is a huge part of this podcast and in my coaching, okay? So for some reason, I guess I still needed to vent a little bit, but we've got it under control and now we're gonna talk about some of the issues that come up around money and some solutions. Emotional issues are tough. Emotional issues are tough. A couple of things come into mind. One, going back to my parents' generation, their generation, the 50s and 60s, where you didn't talk about money. It was considered impolite. It was a dirty word in a lot of families. Uh, you know, I had a boyfriend tell me once when in my 20s how lucky I was that I had a family that talked about money. Because it's true, he went into adulthood not even having a clue what a grown man should make in, in a living, what it would cost to buy a home or, more, uh, you know, buy a car, do a mortgage. I was incredibly educated in that area of my, my life and in and in, in addition to that I was luck, lucky enough to go to a high school where trades were taught and because of that I took accounting as an elective oh I know don't, <laughs> don't even just you can snorkel please <laughs> I wasn't really the, the the biggest geek I had friends that were way bigger geeks than me and uh, or like eggheads as you might want to call them actually no one was a bigger geek than me I was just such a nerd but um, I certainly wasn't the brainiac in my crew and I still wanted to take that course and I'm so grateful I did because of course later in life it gave me a career and it still does to this day when I didn't get through college with my physical therapy degree but I was taught one right system, no computers, remember guys, we're in the 80s here, uh, in high school. I left high school, we had a full business section in our high school where you know we were taught to type and do shorthand back then still, um, uh, accounting. Uh, what else was, there was a couple of other things actually. We were really just well versed, we were very fortunate. So I left high school with not only in my own home, 
a good basis on financials. I understood accounting right out of the gate at 18 years of age. That allowed me to work part-time in within, you know, a year of graduating and later, like I said, it became a career. So I was very fortunate that way. But so many people were not. As well, I was raised in a very Christian home. And that's not such a big deal anymore, but you know, 30 years ago, you know, 40, well, I'm 53, so 40, 50 years ago when I was growing up as a child was a big, big deal. Uh, many religions had the same issue that money was dirty and the root of all evil is money. And that is a lie and it's a limiting belief that I, I need you to get past in your life if you want anything good to happen in your life. Um, I, you know, as far as financially, I, it's, it's, it's such a huge one. So if you were raised with any of this stuff, contact me, get some professional counseling, just change your mind. Money is not dirty. The Bible even talks about money. It teaches it about our money to be stewards of our money. And the Bible does not say that money is evil. It said the love of money is evil. Those are two very, very different ways of dealing with things. Here's a good example. My husband. Is pathetic with money. He was in debt when I met him. He's put us in debt a few times in our marriage. If uh, I died tomorrow and left him to it, he'd have it all spent and he'd be in debt when he died. He just cannot handle money. But the positive, the thing that attracts me to him, money does not motivate him at all. Does not motivate him in the job he does. He does his job because he loves it. I mean, he could easily be making way more money if he had changed jobs, but he's he likes it there. He's comfortable. And he wants his time and energy at, in his life to do other things, not to be all wrapped up in his work. The interesting part was he was a great support network for me because I was that person. I'm the A-type personality. I'm driven. I've always had a, a, you know, a successful business since he met me. Plus, I had a secondary business. Usually do have something on the side. He was the most amazing support system for someone of my personality. Where we run into a little trouble right now is now that I am not that driving force through illness, we really have to be careful. And that's sort of the you know little wake-up call that happened when I finished the finances for the year. So that is such an amazing part of his personality. He's never He doesn't even have those issues to get past. His attitude is money is just something you use to, to do stuff, to get stuff, or to give to other people and help them. He truly just, that is how he, he feels. I was not raised that way, although I was very grateful with the knowledge I had about money. Unfortunately, my family has issues with money. Um, my dad grew up in abject poverty, pretty much. Uh, one of nine children, has a grade nine education. My mom, although grew up in, in you know upper middle class, just the dynamics of her growing up with the relationship she had with her late sister, she has a want mentality, which led to sort of hoarding and greed and just the need to, you know, set mine, it's mine. Um, it's subconscious, it's unconscious for her, but it's driven everything in her life. For my dad, he wanted to be a millionaire. And here's a good example of law of attraction. He worked his whole life and he made sure that happened, but he never got any more than a million dollars. That's, that's, he made it happen. He's had many businesses. And when I was six, you know, 15, 16, and he was just pushing 40, uh, or was 40 ish, he opened his trucking company and that set our lives the way the, you know, my family's estate is today for the rest of our lives. Uh, he accomplished that. He made good on his promise, but it was a driving force in his makeup and what he attracted from God in the universe, just like my, and then, you know, my mom comes from a generation where she didn't work. She was a housewife. So her need to keep it all and not, and hoard it, he made it, she hoarded it. They did great together. It worked for them. Where it kind of gets into an issue is the people that 
are outside of their marital dynamic. So these are the types of things. If you you know if you wonder sometimes why you feel about money one way and it's different from someone else, you know you really need to go into your past. You need to think about uh, how you feel about money. Really think about like be honest about it. Not what you think lip service and other people want to hear. How you truly feel about it. How your family feels about it. How your spouse feels about it. Money is one of the top two or three things that end people in divorce. Like it is it is right up there. I think it's the top two, to be perfectly honest. I don't think that has changed yet. People struggle around money. So one of the things that I was struggling with, and I was sitting in yoga on Monday, and I was meditating, and it was glad to get back, trying to get my habits back into place that keep me higher functioning, and I'd let some of these things slide over the holidays. And this epiphany came to me. Um, we got talking about things. I had my family in for, for lunch on the previous Sunday to celebrate Christmas with my granddaughter who wasn't able to join us over the holidays. And listening to my, fa- first of all, having my family brings up the issues of, that I have with them. You know, they live very easy, paid for lives that, you know, no, really, no one's really worked full-time jobs. They run it. They took over my family's business. They live on my parents' property. This is my sister. And they benefit greatly from that. I walked away from it when I was younger because I wasn't willing to have someone else control my life. It was my choice. And I went out and made my own way. I struggle sometimes, and I'm only telling you this because I want you to relate it to your life. This is really too much information. But I struggle sometimes now that I'm ill. Why can't my parents' wealth help me like it helps my sister? Again, you go back to that first statement I made. Nobody owes me anything, and nobody owes you anything. But it's a hard thing emotionally sometimes to get past. So that was sitting right there at my dinner table. But the other thing that came up, actually, it was my sister that brought it up, was how where they go camping, they have watched um, money coming and going out of that campground due to, in this particular case, it's a provincial issue. Alberta is is a province in this country that for a number of years now has been very, very affluent because they have oil. So a little like the Middle East, they, uh, they had a natural resource that, you know, made sure that their province didn't have a sales tax and, and they got very cocky with it. In fact, I have friends that live there and they're actually, their cockiness was assholeness. I'm not going to lie. I sometimes just wanted to smack people. It's like, Hey, take that down a notch. They just thought they were all that in a bag of chips. And if you didn't like it, you know, go to, go to BC. Pendulum swing folks, nothing lasts forever. And now that province is in trouble. And where my sister was bringing up this was, in its days of affluence, they would watch these $200,000 motorhomes and $100,000 boats all pull into Christina Lake every summer for two weeks. All the toys, all the attitude, and now those Albertans are no longer traveling like that. And if you go on any Craigslist site in Alberta, every toy in the world's up for sale and you can get it cheap. People are just scrambling to get out from under their payments and their debt. This is about managing what you have. When you start feeling cocky and entitled, you overspend. They say that 80% of people that win the lottery are broke within five years. And it's interesting because I'm reading, I'm just going to pull up on my phone what it was called, this great book that I just started. And this author talked about it as well. So these things kept building on each other this last few days. And I thought, I've got to share this. 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. I think he's a Canadian, actually. He just gets blunt, but he talks about the socioeconomic realities of people and lives and that, you know, just proven facts about how 
poor in their mentality, their, their body language, how the weak behave, what they attract, and how nature works. He was actually describing the level of, um, I think he calls it the dominant factor, or the, no, the dominance factor. Just think of, you know, being an alpha. If, you, if That word probably brings a very specific type of person to mind, both in the animal kingdom and in the human world. You know, you've got money, you've got affluence, you've got the best cho choices of the best places to live, the best food, the best sexual um, partners. You like, you just, you have more choices. I mean, nothing, nothing says that better than seeing the absolute geek who's skinny and unattractive, but worth millions and he's married to the supermodel. Okay. Or the same thing with, you know, the old man that married to the supermodel. Um, it's, it's a human socio truth. And sometimes we really need to study that so that we're cognitive of why things are the way they are and why we're making the choices we make. I've talked many times about the fact that North America is a fake environment and the fact that we have a artificial middle class. Nature is eat or be eaten, have or have not. You know, the strongest survive, the weaker weeded out. The feudal system, aristocracy in other countries, third world countries with great poverty, 1% owns the majority of the money and everyone else is poor. I mean, nothing is truer than half of this planet. When the people left England and France to make a new life here and, and parts of Europe to make a new life here in North America, they made choices. Uh, the American Constitutions, you know, talks about that, about people, individual people having rights that they're valued. We built an entire society on that fact, as well as the fact that, you know, later in our country's history, we allowed borrowing. So if you had a good job, you could borrow something to acquire something and, and grow your wealth. That was never possible when you had to do everything with cash, because if you didn't come for money, you had nothing to buy anything with. Do you see what I'm saying? And sometimes we forget that in North America. Middle class is something that is maintained artificially through taxation and through a choice. If tomorrow the bank raised the interest rates 5% and all lending stopped, our economy would crash and we would be like every other third world country. The rich would be rich and the middle, lower middle class to poor would lose everything. We would still have the nouveau rich, but it would really change our socioeconomic profile and landscape drastically. So never ever forget that. There are reasons why certain things exist and you need to understand that. So the other part about things is we get very entitled. There are times when I feel entitled with my family, like this isn't fair, I should. No, entitlement is a curb that you will trip over your whole life if you cannot get a handle on it. No different than gratitude. If you do not have it and express it, you will find that you will probably not have more to be grateful about. And then the main topic I want to talk about is managing what you have. If you cannot manage what God in the universe has given you, why would it give you more? That actually is the whole point of this whole podcast. Why would the universe give you more if you cannot handle what you have? Now, back to my upbringing, I was fortunate. I was raised to think debt was bad. So other than a mortgage, which my father still paid off in 15 years, uh, my dad considered even buying a car. Like nothing was allowed to be financed. In fact, when I got my first credit card at 18, I put $500 worth of debt on it that I couldn't pay off because I went shopping and he made me take my car off the road and use transit until I paid off the debt. Let me tell you, I learned that lesson really fast at 18 years of age. 
So we were raised uh, to earn a living, save 10, tithe 10, do what you want with the rest. So few people have that attitude. So one of the things my sister was talking about with this Alberta situation was these people went through this, you know, almost decade of incredible affluence and so few people put away for a rainy day. They spent to their max and then some because they had the cash flow to make payments, but they didn't have the cash to own. So when everything went sideways, it all caved in on them. It's something I really noticed in England when I was there. Um, I went to visit someone and they actually lived, were on social assistance and had a nicer, lived in a nicer house than I did. They had more stuff than I did, but they owned nothing. There was a mentality that I noticed was prevalent in England amongst people. They have a very strong social system there, which is, of course, is bankrupting their company because a country because of immigration. Uh, there, there shouldn't be a free ride for everybody. That's not how it rolls. People, you don't work, you don't eat. That's another thing that, you know, people just need to try and get their heads around, which we have softened those edges. And in North America, we're teaching our children, unfortunately, that they, they just don't have to do what they need to do to get it done. It's, it's going to come back and bite us in the ass. Again, that pendulum is going to swing. But let's not, let's not rant on that subject. But what I found was that everyone had stuff as long as they could make the minimum payment on it. So people didn't sacrifice to own homes. And I mean, that's, that's not a, I'm not saying yay or nay on that one right out of the gate, by the way. That's a North American thing. I totally understand that. Homes are a security for me. I want to ensure that I have a place to live, that no one can take it away from me. It's an investment. You know, it's my retirement. But, and it's where a huge part of our money here in North America goes to. But in other countries, in England in particular, I didn't find that to be the norm. I just found that as long as someone can make a payment, they had the latest iPhone. They literally changed out their furniture every three years because it was from a, a rent release company. Um, and yet they would prepay their, um, their heat and, and oil bills. And when they ran out of oil, they ran, their heat houses weren't heated for three days at the end of the month until they could top up their payment again. I was stunned. Like this was so foreign to me. I couldn't, I can't even begin to tell you how, you know, from my upbringing, this was just, it was just crazy. But at the same token, these people, they didn't really travel. And like I said, they didn't own anything. They just made payments. And to them, they had a good, a decent life, but they lived in a box. Entrepreneurialism drives a large part of finance around the world and especially North America. That is missing in England in a big, big way because people don't have to. Their basic needs are all being met. At least that's what I found there. Here in North America, you work harder, you can gain. Over there, people just feel it's, there's just no point. They've given up. There's a little bit of a sense of, of uh, acceptance and uselessness. Like there's, it's never going to get any better than this. Useless is not the word I'm looking for. Sorry, guys. Um, I think you probably know what I'm trying to say, though. They just, they just have given up. And they just don't feel that there's really, they can do any better. We're in North America, let's face it, it may call it negative, call it positive, but the American dream is still alive and well around the world. And although it happens for very few, it is still possible. And that mentality of possibility drives an economy that is second to none around the world. It's just, it's just an economic fact of life. There are countries that have got it together way better than us, especially some of the Nordic and... Um, as uh, some European countries, that's not the point. The point is from, you know, how young we are and our mentality drives this behavior versus that behavior. 
All right, so we're not slotted into our box. Our shoebox is not where we live. We, we truly believe that we can do better. Unfortunately, we too have been having a bit of an issue the last number of, of years, right up to the last maybe couple of decades, in the fact that we're getting complacent in that life. You know, there hasn't been a war that we've had to fight for our independence like my grandparents did. You know, it's only two generations uh, past that I had family that, that fought in wars. We haven't had to fight for our rights or uh, our lives or our freedom for a long time. So you get into a third generation of children and it's just accepted that this is, they're entitled to this, that this is the way it is, this is their life. And should we mess with that balance, people get all really upset about it. It's one of the reasons that unions have died in this country and are no longer um, the force of nature that they were 50 years ago. My grandfather was a labor leader and unions ran things. I mean, they are what drove government to make policy and because they got stuff done. But it also became a haven for lazy people that just felt entitled to earn money that they didn't work for. And anybody that's worked in a union or worked in that sort of environment knows that they've got people that they work side by side with that work half as much as they do for the same paycheck and there's no way of getting rid of them. So unions can't, got to a point where they too had run their course and they were creating a negative effect in our marketplace. Free enterprise wasn't thriving because unions were holding us over the barrel. They were producing little and costing lots and other countries around the world, like China has for manufacturing and in places, third world countries, had become forces to be reckoned with because we just don't want to get off our lazy asses. It's just a fact of life, guys. So these are all things that, that play into attitudes around money. So one of the things I had to sit back, and I'm going to reel this back in now, was sitting in meditation was, there was no point me feeling resentful to my family. There was no point me feeling resentful to the universe at large when I wasn't managing what God had already given me. My life might be a little tight right now, but I still live in a house. Many people don't. I eat really good food. Most people don't. I um, still, I'm still able to work, not full time, but I still have the ability and I'm trained. I have a, 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 I have a, a craft. I have an expertise. Lots of people don't. I have a pet. Lots of people can't even afford to have them. We live in a neighborhood that is second to none. It's just a village mentality full of amazingly kind, community-oriented people, uh, healthy people. Um, if one of the kids are out front and being little goofballs, Annie Shelley will yell at them, and there's no parent coming and yelling at me. But the same token, those same kids don't even ask Annie Shelley if they're playing you know, out with their dart guns and they're playing in my backyard because I live on like half an acre. They have no, that they know that they are safe and free on my property. They have a right to be here. They know that because they know they're loved and accepted. I know how odd a place I live is. I truly do. And the ladies in my neighborhood that I'm such good friends with, we have all made a point this past year or two to really acknowledge in gratitude this amazing neighborhood we lived in, live in. Because we talk to other people and they, people that have lived next door to people for years and don't even know who their neighbors are. I mean, I couldn't even imagine I didn't grow up that way and I don't live that way now. It's a choice. It's more of a choice now. In the past, the Mayberry attitude of, you know, your neighborhood, I think that was just uh, coming out of the 60s and stuff was just more normal. It was more expected. Um, technology and, and um, other things have separated us and we just kept, so many people just kept going down that path. I refuse to accept that and I you know, kind of demand. I also, you know what? Um, 
when I use the word demand, I, I don't mean that negatively, I apologize. But my husband, we always joke, Keith will just infringe himself on you until you like him. Like my husband is incredibly social, very kind, very outgoing, very social. And there's no such thing as living next to him and you not knowing who he is. He will walk right into your backyard and introduce himself. He will bring you a beer. Like <laughs> there's, You don't have to become booze and buddies with you him, but you certainly will never be a stranger and vice versa. So we obviously, our personalities drive this behavior, but we also made a choice that this is the life that we wanted to live. And I seem to attract friends that do the same thing. But at the same token, we overextended ourselves this year. Yes, we made some mistakes in our rental. We know that that can't happen again. We have, by the grace of God, we have this property. Um, after I got sick and we had to sell our beautiful custom built home, uh, we had this property knowing that we'd always have to have a rental suite to pay the mortgage, that that cash flow, that's where that cash flow had to come from. The rest of the property and feeding ourselves all came out of our dime, but that would always have to exist. That was the deal because we took on that debt to have this investment. We accepted it, but then we started feeling a little bit entitled again, like, well, we used to vacation four times a year. We used to do this. We should be able to do this. No, we can't. Okay, we can't. So it is very tough to look at your life and make choices to say, I make a dollar and know where that dollar goes and choose where you're going to spend it. So here's a few things I'm going to just throw out for you. Yes, this podcast is a little bit longer. I'll actually put that in the description on the website so people know in advance that, yep, we're going to talk about some deep stuff. So one of the first things is you might ask me how I knew what we had spent because I have my entire property on QuickBooks Online. Because we had a legal rental suite with actual renters before we had students, I had to run that like a business. And I am a bookkeeper, as my son says, Mom, you over-account everything. I just took one of my licenses out of my accounting program and created an account for my actual house. That way I was, my taxes are easy to do at the end of the year. Here's the rent, here's the expenses, blah, 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 break it up percentage wise, personal rental. And my taxes were super easy. Plus I had an audit trail. Should we ever get audited? Awesome. But also in today's day and age, we do so little in cash as a nation. Most everything either comes out of the bank or directly off a credit card. QuickBooks Online and Sage 50 has one as well. Plus there's FreshBooks. There's lots of other programs out there, guys, but I just happen to be a QBO accountant. So that's what I use. You hook up your bank accounts and your credit cards to the program and it downloads for you and you just allocate it off to where you want it to be. You do this once a week for 30 minutes and you're done. And then at the end of the year, you can truly take a look to see what's going on. What you don't record, you can't measure what you don't record. Okay? There's absolutely no ability to do that. That is a business statement of fact. When you are in coaching programs, the first thing they teach you is to create a why, create a game plan, put a time limit on things. When you are trying to grow a business, you're trying to accomplish things in your life, trying to lose weight, trying to do whatever it is you are trying to accomplish. You must have things that are measurable. Results have to be measurable. Your money is no different. If you are not keeping track of it, you do not know where it's going. So when my husband took a look at that black and white printout, he just shut right down. He goes into his cave, of course, and thinks about it, gets all depressed for two days because that's how he rolls. We don't fight about it. We don't yell at each other. I know how he operates. I lay it out to him. These are the things we, not him. There's no blame. You, If you're going to be married, you have to own it. It's a we thing. If you belong married to someone like I am that's crappy with money, 
You married them. So you cannot sit on your high horse saying it's them, them, them. No, I was still on the vacation that we took that we shouldn't have taken in the spring. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Fair enough. But did we have the money for it? Not really. Actually, no, we just didn't, period. <laughs> so it's a we thing. Language is very important when you're dealing with money. We needed to make changes. We needed to accept that this is the budget that we have and we needed to live within it. The question is, Keith, honey, are you prepared to? I'm prepared to. Can we do this together? Do you see the difference between attacking someone? This is why marriages fail. He was still stunned, even though he truly doesn't think he drinks that much or blows that much money at Bass Pro. When he sees it in black and white, it's like, seriously? Yes. When he saw our vacation fund, seriously? Yes, that is what we spent this year. That cannot happen again. Lacking the $10,000 in rent that normally would have come into this property. Yes, that was missing. All on me. I was right. You know, that was all on me. He let me have my way in an area that he probably shouldn't have. But hey, you live, you learn. So take the lesson and move on. Can we, can we move on from this? Of course we can. Thank heavens. You know, we have a lot of equity in our home. This is not going to break us, but the lesson has to be learned. Because I told him if we did this for three more years or five more years, we'd be $100,000 in debt. says, I'm not willing to put our retirement at risk like that, my inheritance at risk like that. That's not okay. This is not what our families worked for. This is not what we're working for. This is, we, we can do this with a plan. So the first thing I recommend is record. Record your money. Now, don't be anal. When I was, I am unfortunately obsessive by nature. This is why, you know, when I had some abuse in my younger life, I had an eating disorder by 15. It, I'm compulsive. Um, when I started biting my nails, I also started taking razor blades in my teen years and cutting my cuticles. Like, honest to God, I have some issues that I really had to deal with when I was younger. When I got into my late teens, I would write in a little diary every time I spent 50 cents or a dollar in the margin and add that up. So and obviously I've been you know, like this for a long time, that's compulsive behavior and not healthy, okay? I would squeeze my nose as a teenager until I had open sores on it. Then I would dry it all up and cover it in makeup. I didn't need, those blackheads didn't need to be dug out of my face, okay? This is compulsive, uh, unhealthy behavior that I dealt with with, with, with um, professional counseling later in life. Uh, when I went in, I sought professional counseling for my eating disorder and all these other things right when I graduated from high school, I realized this was a problem. My family was not aware that these issues existed. They didn't even know about the abuse. Um, I owned it as an adult and I dealt with it. I still deal with it. What's something that's kind of come with life is that I accept. And it's a big reason why I have high functioning habits because habits keep my obsessive behavior controlled and in a positive light to a certain extent. And I had to learn to let things go. That all happens over time with awareness, sometimes counseling. There are ways to get around these things, okay? Anyway, so record what you can't, don't record, you can't measure. Acceptance, just going through the, like I said, using language, the we, the what, what. Okay, now let's talk about what you think you're entitled to. The average home in North America puts out $300 a month in electronic stuff, phones, internet, cablevision. That used to buy a car in my day and age. That is dead, non-tangible, not tied to an asset, money that you're just burning every month. And you may think they are necessities. They are not. So you have to choose 
what you truly can afford, not what you think you have a right to. So our kids grow, grow up and think they deserve an $800 phone in their pocket at 14 years of age and a phone plan that they can't pay for. And our parents don't make us go to, our parents don't make kids go to get a job. Like I had one at fifth. I was babysitting since I was 11. I had $1,000 saved by the time I was 13 back then. We're talking in the 70s, guys. I had a $1,000 Canadian savings bond I bought at 13 years of age. By 15, I was working. By 16, I had a part-time job and went to high school. Those things did not kill me. They did not kill me. So I understood that everything wasn't paid for by my parents, and I understood what I was willing to spend my hard-earned money on. Okay, so it's turned me into the person I am today. So if you're hoping that your children are going to be you, but you do not teach them these lessons, I can tell you right now they won't be. It, there's a good chance they just simply won't be. You're not giving them the life lessons they need. You're compensating for what you feel with your parents being big meanies. That's what I hear from people all the time. I just want my kids to have what I didn't have. Why? Honestly, ask yourself the question, why? Why do you think that? And I'm the worst to talk. I spoil my granddaughter crazy. So really look at what you are doing in your life. So first of all, Keith and I, here's something we do accept we don't eat out hardly ever. In fact, even years ago when I could afford it, my mom got on a big tangent once about my vacationing because Keith and I used to go to Vegas three or four times a year. And my sister said to her in my defense, which was nice, was, Mom, Keith and Shelly don't eat out ever. Well, my mom and dad live in a restaurant five night days a week and my sister and brother-in-law do as well. They, they just don't think anything of it. And lots of my friends, I do books for people that have a coffee habit that is a car payment every month. Guys, those are not necessities. That is you feeding a habit of some sort. It could be anything. Okay. Take a look at your life and say, ask yourself, am I feeding a habit that I'm feeling that I have feelings of entitlement around? I deserve this. I worked hard. One of the things Keith and I have been doing lately this past year is we've been renting and buying a lot of movies off iTunes. And what comes out of our mouths, my mouth is when I justify it is, well, it's half the price of going to a movie. So therefore it justifies me blowing $25 to own that movie. The problem with that reasoning is I can't afford to go to the movie. I don't have that kind of extra income, global income. So that justification has no basis in reality. Zippo. So if you're doing that in your life as well, you need to think about that. So that kind of stuff has got to stop. And that's going to be a tough habit to break. That will be literally Friday night. <gasps> there it is. There's Bumblebee. I want to watch Transformers Bumblebee. It's like, you know what? It will be out for rent for $5.99 in four months. And within eight months, we'll probably be on Netflix, which we have a prescription a subscription for. Patience is something that needs to be learned in this household right now for me. Do you have that same issue? I know these are really some really tough things to be thinking about, but it's a new year. And if you want your life to be better than the prior year, you need to financially, you need to have some more open mindedness about what's going really going on in your life, where you truly are spending your money and awareness. And you need to make some decisions about changes you're willing to make, which you cannot make if you are not delving in and becoming aware of the unconscious limiting beliefs, subconscious driving forces that cause you to make the decisions you make. Buy the movie. It's cheaper than the $50 at the movie theater. That sounds like really strong logic, doesn't it? 
but I don't have $50 every week to go to the movie theater. That's not in the budget. So that logic makes no sense whatsoever. Maybe cable vision is something you need to give up in your home. It'd be gone in my home in a heartbeat. That's my husband's thing. So you know what? What I needed him to understand was you have to accept that you want to spend this $100 here so you don't get to spend it on beer. Like you got to make a choice. This, these are your two options. Do you want the cable vision? Do you want the beer? I don't care. They're both dead money. I'm happy with things coming out on Netflix. I don't need to be watching the greatest, the latest shows. I don't watch Survivor. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't watch any of that stuff. So I am good with whatever is streaming or on, you know, my subscriptions to Amazon Prime and Netflix. He is not. What are you willing to compromise on? Where are you willing to make the choices? So for us, eating out is, is, was never, is not an issue at all. We used to treat ourselves when we vacationed. That was when we went to Vegas, we went to beautiful restaurants. So it's not like I never did it, guys. I just didn't do it at home. So that was when those things happened. So how is that working in your life? Do you go to Starbucks every single day on the way to work? If so, you need to wait to get to work. And if the company you work for makes crappy coffee, go buy your own Keurig. Go buy what you want and just keep it in your desk. But there are ways to manage things, but you have to make choices. And again, you won't know where to make choices if you haven't recorded it. You might not have a clue that you spend $7,000 in meals and entertainment every year. Most people don't, most business people that I do their books for just about die when I give them that number at the end of the year and they say, we spend how much? I said, yeah, you're in a restaurant three times, three times a week. You can never eat in a restaurant cheaper than you can eat at home. And you can never eat as healthily out as you can at home. It's just a fact of life. So these are things you might need to really work hard at accepting. The other part of this is how it looks to other people. My husband is mortified when I say things like, we can't afford that. He gets so, he'll, he is stormed out of a room at friend's house with me making a comment like that. I'm not embarrassed by that, to be perfectly honest. There's nothing I need to dwell on. It's not something I need to say out loud all the time, but I really am not embarrassed by the fact that I can't afford something. I can't afford a yacht. I'm not embarrassed by that. Uh, so that's something as well that you have to f look at and face and say, do I have a self-image that I'm trying to maintain? I know I do all the time. I fight with it constantly. When I first started podcasting, I wouldn't tell people I was a podcaster. I still told them I was an accountant because it just sounded more professional, even though I hadn't worked for almost two years. <laughs> it was a, my coach really called me on that saying, why do you tell people that? Because it looks better when I'm like when I'm out like vacationing and just it's it was just ego. It was 100 percent ego. Podcasting just seems so flaky. So are you doing things like that? Do you use verbiage? So is image important to you? Is keeping up with the Joneses important to you? Because let me tell you right out of the gate, most of what you see on Facebook and around you isn't real. You don't know what's going on in other people's homes. And I can tell you for a fact, when I start talking very bluntly with some of my closer friends, some of them are in exactly the same boat and they're so relieved that I'm willing to talk about it. It's like, oh, God, thanks, Shelly. I thought it was just us. No, it's not just you. I live in one of the most expensive places on the planet to live, Vancouver, Canada. I might as well be living in Hong Kong, Sydney, or New York, for crying out loud. It's brutal here. My children will never live like I live. We only own a home because we bought a home 25 years ago. We never would afford with what we make to own anything close to what we sit and live in right now. We'd be renting basement suites. It's like insane here. People spend... $1,500 to $2,500 to rent things here in Vancouver in the Lower Mainland. Um, that's not a mortgage payment. That's rent. Like, it's insane. 
who can like who can afford that and raise a family unless both people are working so my my childhood uh, lifestyle is done except for the very wealthy and even then most wealthy people I know the wives all work so really think about are you looking at something false are you looking at the internet and thinking well everybody else no they don't I try to be careful what I post on Facebook because I don't want people thinking that I have this dream life um, I don't but at the same token I do tend to only post happy things I, I do not feel Facebook is a place or Instagram is a place for negativity uh, sometimes causes if I feel strongly about a wrong or a cause but it's not where I air my dirty laundry and neither should you be by the way it is not where all my emotional drama goes neither should yours that is not the purpose I love Facebook because it keeps me in touch with friends I can't don't always have the energy to see all the time and it keeps me in touch with all my nieces and nephews and extended family in a way that I never would be possible with just a phone call and a letter so for that kind of technology I'm so grateful for it but I hear so much negativity about it and I personally just don't get it but again that's a choice but also don't get don't buy into the falsehood of what you're seeing out there it's not real people like I say if Bank of Canada raised their rates <laughs> half the people in this country would probably lose their homes all it would take is five percent when I was a kid interest rates were actually at 22 percent at one point mortgage rates my entire childhood were 13 to 15 percent 12 to 13 percent 15 percent and my parents bought a home and paid it off now granted wages haven't gone up to the price that the pricing housing prices have in Canada in BC but still the concept is still the same you can survive you can make it work in any environment if you're willing to live within your means to a certain ex extent okay there are lots of exceptions this is not a Pollyanna attitude in fact I do believe if I'm not mistaken this is very much what uh, rich man poor man the book talks about it talks about not spending to your capacity and saving if you do not save you will not retire in any form of of fun and what happens if your health goes like ours did mine did that's where Keith and I luckily like I say had equity in our home but we didn't have huge savings and things that we could cash in to make it all worthwhile so bad us my bad my bad luckily we also didn't have a ton of debt uh, so this is what can happen though if the cash flow all started tomorrow and all of your credit cards are maxed out your lines of credit and you are living in a home and driving a car that is right to the edge of your uh, earning capability it can be taken away so quickly if one little thing goes wrong you need a rainy day fund so this is like I say when it, going back to the Albertans where my sister was saying you know these people they literally they had so much affluence in that province and yet so few people like nobody put away everyone just kept spending it is human nature it doesn't have to be you can make a choice to live differently now what other kind of little bits of advice can I give you pretty much what I wanted to address today I mean there's a million things guys get a book get an audible there's worse there is where 999 a month should be spent okay that is not money wasted because knowledge and education will take you so far you don't know what you don't know I have clients over the years that open businesses and their lack of knowledge of owning a business is is unfreaking believable they're good at what they do they don't have a clue how to run a business you you know you need to learn 
if you're going to do these types of things. Well, same in your life. If you don't know something, go get the education. And oh my gosh, it's so easy now with YouTube and things like Audibles and, and a book, which is, in case you don't know what that is, folks, that is a, um, uh, a book club that you belong to. And for $9.99, you get a free book up to $35 value every month to listen to. So my car and my commute and things like that all become learning experiences. I just don't sit and listen to music or read romantic novels, I, um, which is what I used to do when I was younger. I use that time in my car. And today, well, it's no exception. After I do this and finish up some client work, I have a lot of running around to do today. And all of that time in that vehicle will be spent learning. And that's the new book that I was just talking about, The Rules to Live By, 12 Rules to Live By. Really finding it fascinating. Because these things, even if you listen to the same book over and over sometimes, you will, you will learn something new. Uh, seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Brendan Burchard, High, I'm High Functioning Habits, he is High Performing Habits. Um, Jim Rohn. The, I could listen to the, those guys' books over and over again. I will always pick up something new. I will always learn something new. Think and Grow Rich. You really need to revisit that, by the way, if you haven't listened to that in a number of years. I hadn't read it again since my early 30s. And this past year opened my eyes to just so many new things. Your life changes. Your life is fluid. So sometimes when you're listening to something you've already listened to before, but your circumstances have changed, you're going to pick up on totally different aspects of that book and learning because they didn't affect you before. Okay? But they do now. So never, ever, ever stop learning or questioning. So although there is lots of information out there to teach you how to manage a budget, I'm really more interested in starting with your mindset. I need you to think about where you are and accept that you might have some limiting beliefs and subconscious attitudes around your money. Different things might be driving your behavior and it's stopping you from making good choices feelings of entitlement, not recording what you spend, like not having any idea. Now you don't have to record everything, but not having any idea what, what you're spending. Uh, get advice, get a, talk to someone that's, you know, that someone you trust. Now here's the thing. For years, we had a financial advisor who handled our finances and that man didn't own a car and didn't own his house. Why did we give our money to someone that couldn't handle his own money? That actually happened twice in my family, both of my families and myself. So when we had this huge recession here in BC in 2008, we weren't paying attention that our financial guy wasn't as bright as we thought he was and had us all in banking and things that, or was it banking? It all crashed on us and we lost almost our whole investment and we were not in a position in our lives in our late 40s to remake that money. So it was a devastating loss. This was 12 years ago now, I guess. Has it been 12 years ago? It's... 11 years ago, it's 2019. So these are things, when I say go get advice, don't get advice for some uncle that's unemployed sitting on his couch collecting welfare, okay? You do not put ideas past people like that. You go talk to people that are successful, that are making, at least to the best of your knowledge, good decisions, people in the know. If you are truly making good money, own your home and, and have a decent you know, portfolio, you better have a good accountant perhaps even a tax planning lawyer. These things, this is where something my family just, my parents took no responsibility for. And unfortunately, it's already too gone. My dad's got Alzheimer's, my mom's memory is gone. They will never be able to pass on an estate to the extent they could have if they had handled things. The government will just take their cut now and there's nothing they can do about protecting it because they didn't make choices when they were cognitive. It's really unfortunate. 
and they won't and they wouldn't spend the money my mom's I never forget my mom telling me I'm not spending ten thousand dollars to to have my wills done up and do my estate my mom has a five million had five million dollars at the time that she needed to make in properties and investments that needed to be dealt with and she thought ten thousand dollars was too much money <laughs> my accountant has an expression and I don't mean this disrespectfully so much to my mom but a little bit there's no accounting for stupid like that is just stupid that is irresponsible and stupid you need to manage what is yours because like I say if you're wanting to put the law of attraction into place or you're wondering why you're just not getting more but you are not handling what you've gotten why would the universe bless you with more this was a tough topic today and I know this is almost an hour podcast um, please take it in the vein it was an intended it is to help sometimes if we do not get faced with hard truths in the mirror change does not happen so this probably may not be my most popular podcast on the planet but uh, I really feel that there's some things here that some people out there needed to hear it's a wake-up call you can recover and get past messes in your life but probably not all on your own and not without making changes and not with some awareness have a great day everyone and I'll catch you on the flip side Thank you again for joining me today and remember to focus on not living in regret. I invite you to subscribe to my show so you don't miss a thing. You can reach me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at either High Functioning Habits or Living Well with Shell. And I invite you to leave a rating on my show about what you like best or message me with something you'd like me to speak on next. Remember, willpower will only get you so far, then you better have a plan.